In the summer of 2021, a sweet 62-year-old Navajo elder would walk out into the early morning hours of June 15th, get in her truck, and drive away, only to be never seen or heard from again. With the investigation now moving from a missing person's case to homicide, her family is still searching for answers to what happened that night. This is a story of the mysterious disappearance of Ella Mae Begay. Hey guys, this is Osh. This is Shiashi. This is Maggie, and you're listening to We Are Resilient. Okay, so like we were talking about earlier, today's story is going to be a little bit different than all the other stories that we've covered so far. Most of the other stories we have covered have been involving young Native females, and today's story actually involves a Navajo elder. And it's honestly so sad. And when you look up pictures of her, your heart is going to break because she looks like the sweetest little woman you've ever seen. Oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm ready. Is she one of those, like she could be anybody's grandma? Yes. Kind of elder? I don't know about this. If I time out, just, you know, carry on. Just don't look up pictures of her until the end, honestly, because you're going to be so sad. This one is really heavy. And it's like I said, you know, it's different, but it's important that we shed light on all ages of cases, because unfortunately, this epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous people happened to not only men and women, but it happens to men and women of every age. A lot of what we see is the younger generation or population. A lot of times they put themselves in more precarious situations where bad things could happen where it feels Mm -hmm. like elderly people, you know, are really cautious and reserved. And it just is almost stuff that you don't really hear about. Well, it's scary to think about too, because if you like culturally, how much we regard our elders, it's just, it's hard for me to really think about any of our elders being an MMIW. It is. And like I said, it's a heavy story. Like all of our stories, there's not a whole lot of information, but I will tell the story of what I know. So today I want to tell you about the mysterious disappearance of a Navajo elder who disappeared from her home in the middle of the night in June of 2021, and her family has not seen or heard from her since. Oh my gosh, so this is just six months ago. This was seven months ago, yeah. Oh my gosh. um, It's very recent. Okay, the story I want to tell you about today is about Mrs. Ella Mae Begay. And I don't know for certain that that's how you say that last name, but it is spelled B-E-G-A-Y. That just sounds so pure. I know. I'm already sad. We're not ready, Maggie. I'm so sorry. Believe me, (laughs) I was depressed sitting here rereading it and, you know, looking up just articles on Ella Mm -hmm. Mae. But this is a name that needs to be shared and it's a name that deserves to be heard. Ella Mae is a member of the Navajo Nation who lived in Sweetwater, Arizona at the time of her disappearance. In September of 2021, Ella Mae's family celebrated her 63rd birthday without her. Aww. The details of Ella Mae's disappearance are unclear, and her family has been fighting for answers for the last seven months. Not only was Ella Mae a respected elder and matriarch in her community, but she was also a treasure to her tribe, as she was a traditional Diné master rug weaver. As we've talked about on this podcast before, traditional Native American art is unfortunately a dying craft. And we all know that losing an elder who has a wealth of knowledge in any traditional trade is catastrophic. That's true. It takes a really long time to learn like the basics of any kind of traditional craft. So to be able to master that, that's taken her years, I would imagine. And, you know, as a master rug weaver, she was also a teacher. 
like uh, at a school? No, as a master rug weaver, I meant she would be teaching people in her community how to do oh. what she knows how to do. Like oh. like passing the knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And those people are invaluable. Those that share their culture and their traditions. Ella May yeah. is a rock star. I know. And honestly, I wish I could have met her. Okay. Like we've done in all of our other podcasts, I want to talk about the tribe that she's from. The Navajo Nation primarily inhabits the lands of Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico. And today is the largest American Indian tribe. The Navajo Nation people are made up of approximately 250,000 members and are known to be skilled artisans in both rug making and silversmith work. Much of the Native American style jewelry you see being sold today is directly influenced by the traditional Navajo style by using turquoise and red coral colors. The Navajo language is a treasured language like many Native American tribes, but the Navajo language is special in the fact that during World War II, a group of 29 Navajo men were selected to assist the Marine Corps in creating a code based off of the complex unwritten Navajo language. So this code was basically used as an encryption tool to send out secret communications on the battlefield. And the success of the U.S. Marine Corps during the Battle of Iwo Jima is widely attributed to the work of these men. These men are respected and known today as the Navajo Code Talkers. Um, yes. I've heard a lot about them. I've and seen the uh, movie, the Wind Talk- was it Wind Talkers? Yeah. With Adam Beach. And then one year... Shout I out was- Adam Beach. <laughs> I don't watch movies. One year when I was uh took youth council, we went to Unity and we met the code talkers. They were sitting like at a kind of like a table, a booth, and you could go up and talk to them, ask them questions, get your picture made. It was really exciting. So what's really crazy is when I was reading about it, you know, I knew about the Navajo code talkers, but I didn't really know like the history behind it. But throughout this war of Iwo Jima, their encrypted code that they created was never cracked. So it's actually like mm-hmm. a secret mission by the U.S. military that they built that into what they do now so they use pieces of what these people created yeah it's their language the navajo language yeah i understood that they basically were like translating just english words to navajo and taught the soldiers how to speak navajo and that's how they got a lot of their messages across what's kind of ironic is that you know these native people who basically were assimilated to not speak their language were helping the u.s army and Marine Corps fight this battle that ultimately was everything that the United States was trying to rip away from the Native Americans. Yeah, I was getting ready to mention that because I was like, we think about just how much language has been lost. And it was the very language that helped during that time. It's very ironic. It is. And, you know, it just kind of proves how deep rooted that how deep rooted Native American traditions are. So obviously the Navajo culture is very prominent and it's one that many people probably see on an everyday basis, but don't even realize. Like I said, a lot of the jewelry that you see, you know, even being imitated for Native American jewelry can be attributed to to Navajo culture. So from all the articles that I found in regards to Ella Mae, she sounds like such a sweet little woman and her pictures online honestly make me so sad because all I can see is my own grandmother. Ella Mae was only about five feet tall and weighed around 100 pounds at the time of her disappearance. I'm going to Google her. Don't do it. <laughs> You'll be so sad. Oh. Many of the accounts from family described Ella Mae as someone who was reserved, cautious and loving. So her sudden disappearance just doesn't make sense to the family. Fortunately, Ella May's um, story has been covered by a few different news articles. And one of them really highlighted her artwork, which I thought was really awesome. Um, 
So Ella May was known in her community for the tapestries that she created. Many of the rugs in Ella May's home were handmade, and she had included the phrase, bless this home, weaved into many of her pieces as a phrase of protection. But unfortunately, this loving phrase didn't protect Ella May during the night of June 14th. From an article written by the news station Fox 10 Phoenix, it was said by a niece of LMA that when they received a call from other family members who were worried about LMA, that she so much wasn't concerned because she knew she was always so cautious and she rarely ever left her home. However, days after the family officially reported LMA missing, Captain Leonard Redhorse from the Navajo Police made the family aware that they had escorted this case from a missing endangered persons case to a foul play investigation. So they bumped it to foul play and they at this point, they just didn't know where she was still. Correct. Oh, gosh. OK. So as we're all too familiar with when we look through these cases, um, when a missing or when a person is missing or a homicide investigation is still pending or active, the police departments are super reluctant to give out any information, which I guess in most cases is understandable. But, you know, when I think about being the family of a missing person, I just can't imagine how frustrating it would be to know your loved one may or may not be okay and you're not getting any answers, especially if that person is an elder. The only information that the family has is that someone reportedly saw LMA getting into her truck in the middle of the night, possibly with someone else. Neither LMA nor her silver F-150 have been seen since. Was this common for her to give people rides or? It was not. When you say middle of the night, what time are you talking about? From the reports that I read, this happened around 2.30 in the morning. Is it typical for LMA to be out at 2.30 in the morning? I mean, like my aunts, they would go to the bingo or they'd go to the casino, but, you know, anti-life. No, but she was not a res auntie. She did not go anywhere. So I'll tell you a little bit more kind of about where her house was and what she did during COVID. But the reason why it was reported basically as soon as she left is because a neighbor called family members after they saw her leave at two two o'clock in the morning because they also thought it was strange. That's good of the neighbors to report the suspicion. Yeah. So LMA was an elderly woman who lived on her own. Um, She lived by herself. So she, you know, Something out of the ordinary, if you had a caring neighbor like that, I'm sure that they they would notice. So did they just report her leaving by herself or did you say they thought that that somebody else was with her? It's not really clear. So while reading about LMA on Medium.com, it was described that she lived in a very remote area with her closest neighbor being around 50 yards away. So 50 yards away is about half of the football field. Many people in the Navajo Nation live in a very rural desert areas, and many of these people don't even have electricity to their homes. It was said that just six months before her disappearance, LMA had solar panels installed on her home and had electricity for the first time in her life. Oh, wow. So a lot of Navajo homes um, are honestly in like desolate areas and electricity isn't run into the desert like that. So many of them, you know, live off of like no air conditioning. They probably have like candle and gas lamps. So it's really, you know, when I say a rural area, it's truly that. There, It's it's out in the country. How old was she? She was 62 at her time of disappearance. She was 62. And this was the first time that she's had electricity. No, I no. cannot imagine that. That. I mean, we're doing this virtually and I about had a fit because my Wi-Fi wasn't acting up. So you can imagine how I would handle no electricity. That's that's wild. It's crazy to think about. But, you know, on a lot of reservations, like I've said multiple times, we are very, very blessed. There are many reservations who 
have nothing. And these people live in homes with dirt floors. And it's not uncommon for people to not have electricity or running water. It's just, it's really interesting that, you know, a lot of people really aren't aware of how some of these reservations and some of these Indian lands are uh, when you talk about dirt floors and no electricity. People don't typically associate that with living in the United States. You you think about it being like a third world country and people don't associate it, but this is actual places in this country. You said this was in Arizona. This is the reality of Indian country uh, in these rural mm-hmm. places that, that are in poverty. So this is the and, you reality. Know, yeah, and... You know, a lot of people kind of cast the negative light on Native Americans because they feel like we are supported by the federal government and that we receive all this free stuff and, you know, whatever other assumptions they want to make. But in reality, federal tribes are supported by the federal government, but it is entirely underfunded. And the tribes that are successful and the tribes that prosper are the ones that were fortunate enough to be able to find a way of business on their own. You know, like we have a casino. The Seminoles are very successful. They own all the hard rocks pretty much. Those are the tribes that people see and know of because their names get out there and, you know, it's just like a common household name. But Mm -hmm. in reality, like Ash said, this is what Indian country looks like. But for the longest time before we got the casino, you know, we, we thrived on tourism. And that was at the cost of selling ourselves as stereotypical Indians dancing Powwow mm-hmm. dancing uh, with the headdresses on, and that's not who our tribe is. Powwow dances are not our traditional dances. So, yeah, we are very fortunate that we've had um, opportunities to progress ourselves financially. When Ella May went missing, it was in the height of COVID, and her family, again, kept mentioning how cautious of a person she was. They stated that during the pandemic, she rarely left her home and never invited people into her home. She also had a fence installed as an additional measure of protection. She lived alone and she knew that she had to be extra cautious, not only with COVID, but with people in general. It's not usual for her to not only leave in the middle of the night, but also to leave with someone else. She sounds like a cautious woman, a smart woman. Well, and, you know, I just think of elderly women in general, you know, particularly elderly Native American women. They're very reserved, very quiet. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that she was like you would expect an elderly Native woman to be. You know, I wouldn't say I I wouldn't picture her as being someone who was mean, but maybe someone who just didn't invite like unnecessary people or just anyone into her life and especially not her home. What did you say she drove? A silver F-150 truck. Yeah. So she sounds like she was very purposeful in the things that she had. Yeah. And it just makes me sad because she's a little hundred pound woman who drives a Ford F-150. And five, what did you say, five foot? Yeah. You know, she was... A feisty little old lady. A few days before her disappearance on June 14th, Ella May spoke to her son who lived in Denver. They were discussing an upcoming trip that he and his family would be making to visit Ella May. And this would have been the first visit that she had from her son and her grandchildren since before the pandemic started. Oh, no. Of course, course that visit didn't happen. According to the article on Medium.com, on June 15th, 2021, at 10.55 a.m., the Navajo Police Department received a call that a 62-year-old woman had vanished overnight. The police were dispatched and reportedly headed out immediately to LMA's home to interview the neighbor who last saw her. However, due to the vastness of the reservation and likely the lack of law enforcement in the area, they were over 70 miles away and arrived later in the day. 
Finally, by mid-afternoon, the police called Ella May's son in Denver to inform him of the missing person report for his mother. And he was have said to felt instantly sick. He just knew that something wasn't right. He stated, the last time I received a call like that at work was 20 years ago when I was told my father had been killed. Oh, my God. So unfortunately, it sounds like this family has a pretty tragic past. And I only found one. So I only found evidence of one son. So I think this was her only son. It's one of those situations where like, I don't know, it's like you just know your people. Do you know when you have that that feeling? I can't imagine getting a phone call like that. And I just I really can't fathom what that would feel like. I know. And, you know, as a mom, even if your kids like you have an intuition, like if they call you in the middle of the night, like you instantly know something's up or if they just call you randomly during the day, you're like, oh, gosh, you know, it's like this heightened sense of intuition But, Mm -hmm. you know, when you get a call, I assume that they had already been in contact. He had been in contact with the police and let them know that he wanted a welfare check done. So when they called back and didn't have good news, you know, he had to have his his heart just had to have sank. I just can't imagine someone calling me and saying my grandma left in the middle of the night and she wasn't back the next morning. I mean, I don't know. That's not usual for any elderly woman. No, it's not. At all. And, you know, for them to do a welfare check or to go check on her and her just still be missing, it's scary. Especially you said it's like two in the morning. So you'd be like, what happened? Who called her? What's going on? You know, you you would think like something serious must have happened if she was getting up and leaving at two in the morning. So I'm kind of the problem solver in my family. If something happens, that's when I get a phone call. You know, I don't hear from them all the time, but if if something happens and it needs to be resolved or someone's sick or someone's hurt, they call me. So hmm. I can't imagine that a 62-year-old woman would have an issue in the middle of the night and not call someone, you know? Yeah. So it just seems really bizarre to me. In the days after LMA was reported missing, there were many search parties formed by both the family and the police department. They came together to search both on foot and by ATV. But like many other stories, this reservation land is so vast and desolate that it is almost overwhelming to even think of where they should start or where they should search. They basically were going by word of mouth of where she may have gone. They were just looking in every area they could possibly think of. Searches continued not only for Ella May herself, but they were also looking for her F-150 truck. A $3,000 reward was offered for any information about either of them. However, after seven months, the family still has no more information regarding her whereabouts. You know what's scary is that they were over 70, the police were over 70 miles away because of how vast the land was, that they didn't get there till midday. So if you're thinking she left at two in the morning, how much of a head start was that with wherever she was going or if someone took her? That's a lot of time for a lot of things to happen. Well, and two, you know, I thought about, I don't know what her health condition was like, but there are certain health conditions that can affect your mental status, especially at an elderly oh, age. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, even if she had gotten into her car on her own accord and just drove off, having a 10 hour head start, she could be across the United States by then and just not even know where she's at. So, I mean, this we always talk about the lack of law enforcement in these cases, but in Native American communities, it's just the reality of it. When you have hundreds and thousands of acres and eight police officers for it, you know, it's just impossible to give these cases the attention they deserve. Right. We've talked about that in the past, just with the lack of funding for these departments to have enough officers to patrol this vast landmass. 
there's so much land and not enough cops or officers to patrol it safely. And that's too how a lot of times how these cases get escalated to the FBI, because that's really their only resource. Once the, you know, tribal police can't handle it or it becomes something greater than what they're equipped to handle, the only other option is to escalate it to the FBI because that's the only people that can investigate it. While law enforcement officials have not disclosed much information to the media or to the family, something that they have stated is that while there was no evidence of a struggle, something just wasn't adding up. While interviewing the neighbor of LMA, it was learned that the night before her disappearance, the police were called to the home of another neighbor due to a disturbance. During this call, there was a man named Preston Tolf. He was noted to be up to no good and arguing with people within this home. It was reported to the police that they did speak with him that night when they were called, but he was never arrested or taken into custody because the homeowners that actually called the cops decided not to press charges. Preston Tolf is a 21-year-old Navajo man who does not have a significant connection to the Begay family, but the police did want to speak with him in regards to LMA's disappearance. However, when they started searching for him, he was nowhere to be found. Hmm. On June 17th, the Navajo Police Department put out an announcement that they were looking for Preston and reportedly labeled him as a person of interest in this case. So is he still not found? Is that what you're telling me? You're telling no. us? I'm going to the next page. Hold on. I'll shut up. <laughs> Ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, Preston was located in his hometown of Thoreau, New Mexico. It was found that he had outstanding warrants for an unrelated battery charge, so they were able to bring him in for questioning before he was extradited on those charges. So while they were interviewing Preston in regards to LMA's disappearance, he denied having any involvement and would not provide any information to the officers. He remained incarcerated in San Juan, Utah, until October 15, 2021. He still remains a person of interest in LMA's case, but at this time is free. So it sounds like, you've, you, like you said, the police are keeping their information kind of close to the chest. So I'm interested to know, like, why he's still a person of interest. Like, what is there that they're feeling like he might have something to do with it? So I have my own theories. Okay. But I did read an article and it actually quoted the Navajo Nation police chief. His name is Philip Francisco. So he stated that Begay's case is now in the hands of the FBI and the Navajo Nation's criminal investigations team. Francisco confirmed that Begay's case changed from a missing persons case to homicide, which helped enlist the FBI for assistance. The Navajo Police Department assured the family that they were doing everything that they can to locate LMA, but the family just felt like they could be doing more. To me, that says that, you know, while... In an active investigation, it's really important to hold information or hold certain information, especially if it could be detrimental to the case. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you put information out to the media that only the person who did it would know when they're interrogating them, you know, that could throw a whole case off and then no one would be convicted. But mm -hmm. for them to escalate it to the point where they know that it's a missing, you know, it went from a missing person's case to a homicide, that tells me that there's something that they're probably not telling people, that they know something, right? Right. For it to be a homicide with no body? No, there is still no known whereabouts of LMA or her truck to this day. So what do they know? That's interesting. 
And, you know, I think we get frustrated because when we read about these cases, it's blatantly obvious that something, you know, suspicious probably happened. But it's frustrating for the active cases because a lot of the information is just not out there. And I know we want to get people's names out there, but we also want families to have justice and, you know, some sort of conclusion to these stories. So it is super frustrating when stuff like this happens. You know what would keep me up at night? I would be so bothered. Like, what? What could have possibly got her out of the house at two o'clock in the morning? You know, if she was private, you know, I I just, that would eat at me. What would coax her out in the middle of the night like that? And, you know, like I mentioned, it could have been in the perfect world. It would be that she had something going on and health wise and maybe just drove off and got lost and is okay. But Mm -hmm. there's also the possibility that, you know, she was preyed on as an elder or, you know, someone came by and wanted her truck, you know, as a 100 pound woman, like she sounds like a feisty little lady who could probably hold her own. I mean, at 62 years old, 100 pounds and five feet tall, like if a man came in and tried to overpower her, then it wouldn't take much. That's true. Yeah, something had to have happened that night in that house for her to leave. She, I mean, I would imagine she would be in bed. Yeah. Was she leaving or fleeing? Like, did she, I wonder if she looked frantic running, going to her truck. Or she just kind of casually stroll out and get in and take off. I mean, you have to think about how far away the neighbors are. If you're the closest house is 50 yards away, you're probably not going to see or hear a whole lot. Even though it doesn't sound that far, it really is in regards to, you know, getting details. So they probably don't know. Mm-hmm. They probably just know that they saw her leaving. I don't know how to process this. That's it's scary. It's just really sad. The only other thing yeah. that I kind of wanted to touch on was elder abuse. Because I think that this is relevant. That could have been one of the possibilities that happened to her. You would think if that was the case that the family would be a little more vocal if it was somebody they suspected or somebody that they thought was mistreating her. Well, I think elder abuse looks, it it can look really different. You know, it could be that they were partying next door and knew that a 62 year old woman lived by herself and had all these beautiful rugs in her home that they could sell. She made her living by making these rugs. So you know that they're worth money. I just Googled um, her name and it shows her picture, a picture of her rugs and they are. They're very intricate. They're beautiful. It was, those are not, yeah, those are not something easily made. That's a no. craft. And her family basically said like who she was was in those rugs because she put so much detail in them and so much work into mm-hmm. them. But, you know, when I was you know, thinking about this story and just like the possibilities of, of what could have happened to her, if it was someone who just like came in and was trying to take advantage of her, I was looking up the statistics on elder abuse for Native Americans. And this was a study done by the National Library of Medicine. And it stated American Indian elders have one of the lowest life expectancies in the United States. Disproportionate disease burden, socioeconomical disparities and higher rates of violence through the lifespan are thought to contribute to higher rates of elder abuse. Not to mention contributing factors include historical trauma, shame and fear impacted reporting. So something that a lot of people don't talk about is elder abuse in general. Unfortunately, especially for tribes who receive per capita or money, elder abuse is really common because once you get to a certain age, as we all know, you know, you require a little more support. And unfortunately, there are people who prey on people who need that support. Yeah. So I don't know what happened to LMA and I have my theories of what I think happened to her. But either way, it's really just a tragic story. 
I see my grandma and her when I pull up the picture and it makes me really sad to think about something bad happening to a woman who not only held so much historical culture, but she was a grandmother. She was a mom. She was a traditional weaver. She, you know, she really was someone. And a lot of people cared about her in this community. It was a big loss for their community. And I hope that they find answers soon. I feel like I'm so cynical now after we listen to all these stories, because my immediate thought is someone has done something to her and harmed her. But I don't know who. And, you know, in reservations like this, where it's so you know, obsolete, you can go to someone's house and rob their house and the police are 70 miles away. I mean, no one may even hear you, especially in a woman's home who couldn't really put up a fight and lives completely by herself. I know that the family has basically stated to say that they know someone is responsible for harming her and they just want answers on who did that. So the family really believes that someone is responsible for her disappearance. When you were doing your research, did you struggle, not just finding information, but when you find like multiple articles, do you find that it's all the same generic information? Like it's really hard to get extra details or extra information. I did. And I think it's hard too, because you kind of have to piece it together to actually figure out what happened because it's like certain reporters want to stick with like certain information. Like one talked a lot about the search parties that they had done. Another article had talked a lot about, you know, what the family thought and just quoted a lot of the family. And then another article, which was actually I appreciated, was an article that talked about all of her artwork. And it gave descriptions Mm -hmm. of all the art that she's done and kind of her impact on her culture. So fortunately, you know, this case had quite a bit of information, but the family is still just like at, you know, they're still just struggling with getting her name out there and getting people to care about her. There was one quote where it basically was the family just begging people to give them sympathy and, you know, to care about their missing grandmother and aunt and mom because she's still out there and they don't have answers. And it's been seven months, seven months. But you can look up a picture of her, Shiashi, and it's going to make you so sad because she looks so sweet. And I just want to give her a hug. And I have this like mental image of her being kind of a, a feisty little old lady and probably wouldn't appreciate a hug. but. She just looks like everyone's grandma, everyone's native grandma. <laughs> Aw, she does. She looks really sweet. Everything that you you said about her, that's what reflects in her pictures that I've looked at of her. And I can't believe yeah. something like this would happen. Yeah, I've been I've been stopping myself from looking up photos because uh, it's been a year of uh, just yesterday's when my uh, granny passed. So I'm trying not to be um, as emotional about it because it's it's uh, I don't this. It was just it's just hard to hear. And it, it's I, I, I think about her and think about just not knowing how that would feel, just not knowing where she's at or that someone would have the gall to to bring harm to her. And I just I, I my heart hurts for that family. Mine does, too. And, you know, what always gets me, too, is that these families are grieving And they're heartbroken and they are just torn apart. But every single one of these families makes an effort to shed light on other people's cases. They always you always hear about these families, you know, making Facebook pages or doing searches and being a a part of these bigger movements. So even when they are grieving, probably the biggest loss they've ever had, they are still so committed to helping raise awareness for this issue that is nationwide. You know, even in this past year, you can see that the level of concern 
for Indigenous women in general who go missing or who are murdered, it's just, it's not there. So it comes in waves. Yeah. It feels like, you know, when there's attention to it nationally, like when something comes out or something crazy happens, like, I mean, even with all the media attention recently, like it was a highlight for a little while and now it's fallen off again. And, mm-hmm. you know, people care about it for a few weeks at a time and then, you know, it's just forgotten again. But what people don't realize is how many of these people go missing every single day. There's just so many families out there suffering and going through this. And I think it's important that we keep shedding lights on their stories. Maybe something will happen. Maybe we can spark a fire somewhere with someone to solve one of these cases. What kills me is that at this point, you know, after seven months, the family, you know, and this is considered a homicide case. Like while they might be hopeful that something would come about and she would be found safe, you know, they know that the possibility of that is low. And at this point, what is so sad to me, and just like all these other stories of the missing, is they just want to find their deceased loved one's body. That's all they want, you know? Like, not only are they grieving this loss, but they can't even fully and properly grieve until they just find the body of someone that they loved. And that's just sad to think about, too. And what a lot of people don't realize is in a lot of cultures, especially, you know, Native American cultures, you can't be at rest unless you're buried in a proper way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if her body was anyone's body was discarded of in a malicious or, you know, in a non-cultural way for some people, that could be really detrimental. We had talked about it before, talked about just how overwhelming um, these cases are because there's so many. And if you put it in perspective that how many families are out there are just wanting closure and just wanting to have their loved one home. One of the things that I struggle with when doing research and following these MMIW pages is that the the missing flyers and the missing information is constant. It's constant. So, you know, in the brief time they're shared, it's it's a struggle just trying to keep your loved one kind of at the forefront because there's so many women who are going missing without a trace. And these families are left to do these grassroots efforts on their own and just spend years and years of their lives just wanting some kind of answer, some kind of closure. And while they're doing that, there's just so many more women that are just getting added to this list. You know, some this is just, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. The family continues to coordinate search parties and have created a Facebook page titled Trailing LMA. They make posts not only about LMA, but they also use this page as a way to bring light to other missing Indigenous person cases in the area. This page is very active and it makes posts just about every day. I encourage all of our listeners with Facebook who care about the MMIW movement to look up this page and to follow it. As we have said many times before, social media is one of the greatest tools we have when it comes to getting the word out about missing endangered people. Like many families of the missing, the Begay family are still hopeful that LMA is found safe and healthy. But at this point, they just want answers and closure. Ella Mae Begay was five feet tall and weighed 100 pounds at the time of her disappearance. She had short, chin-length hair and usually wore glasses. Also missing is Ella Mae's silver F-150 with tinted windows with the Arizona license plate number AFE-7101. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Ella Mae Begay, please contact the Navajo Nation Police Department, Shiprock District, at 505 305- Three six eight one three five zero or five zero five three six eight one three five one. 
and they will direct the call to the right person in charge. Like many of the stories we cover, this story does not have a happy ending. And I know that this story in particular was pretty hard to hear. However, even if it's uncomfortable, these are the kind of stories that we need to tell. And these are the kind of names that we need to get out there so that these families can find comfort and peace. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com. 